0: Come on, come on. It would be actually nice if it was heartfelt, but, you know, I was sitting right there. Mike made you do that. I am so excited to be here, Overlake. I I was here in December. Who wants to live here in December? Okay, last time I spoke here, I didn't even know how long it was. I just told Mike, don't invite me back. Uh, No, you were nice. It was just, it, it began to snow a little bit and you didn't come to church. It wasn't even real snow. And I thought, really? They don't go to... But anyway, I did read this week in USA Today that Seattle is the number one place to live in the United States. Don't get too cocky. Uh, Just during the summer. Just during the summer is what it says. So that's uh, why I'm thrilled to be here. Like Mike said, there's you know, eight or nine people on this amazing church staff that I have had the privilege to work with over the years. And uh, you don't even know what a world-class church you're at. The people of have, have high character and they love Jesus. And um, just the fact that I got to rub shoulders with so many of my love, and that's why I love this place. And I uh, feel like this is actually a, a second church home. Um, if you're visiting like I am... We are in week three of a series that we're calling Worshipers, and your wonderful pastor came up with a phrase that I love, I wish it came from me, but I will steal it when I go back home and will let my people know that it came from me, uh, called Worship First. I love that, Worship First. What does it look like to worship first in 2013? What does it look like to worship thir- first in, in a busy life? What does it look like to worship first in the summer in Seattle when no one wants to go to church? Uh, what does it look like to, to worship first? And we're taking a look at this by looking at biblical characters. So this whole series is taking a snapshot of, of one person and what, did their, what can their life teach us. Today we're going to look at Abraham. And uh, Abraham is actually known all over the world. About half the world's population would lean in when you say Abraham. Jews, Muslims, Christians uh, appreciate and value Abraham and or the God of Abraham. I was first exposed to Abraham. My earliest memory is probably five or six years old. I was in a dentist office. And I remember in the dentist office, there was a story Bible And if you don't know this story, it'll make sense in in a minute, but those of you that do know the story of Abraham and Isaac, and I'm looking through this story Bible, I don't remember reading, just remember looking at the pictures, and going, oh, a boy is out on a walk with his dad. What a cool thing. I love my dad. I'd love to go walking with my dad. And then you turn a couple pages, and then the boy is laying on an altar, and the dad has a knife in the air. And I'm thinking to myself, what did this boy do? I mean, when my dad would be mad at me, it wouldn't look like that. I mean, he would say, Douglas, go get me something to hit you with, which I thought was weird, but I would return with a pillow, uh, (laughs) you know, a few days later, and it wasn't as bad. But uh, as an adult, this story of Abraham and Isaac, it's one of the most disturbing, incongruent events in the Bible, and yet. It's also one of the most beautiful and powerful events of worship first. We're going to take a look in Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. If you have Bible up on the screen or in your notes, however you uh, turn your phone on, whatever you do to uh, read, is great. Verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am, <laughs> which are good words when God calls. Uh, take your son. Your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering, which is a a form of worship, on the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up, he saddled the donkey, and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the food and the wood But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. What a picture of worship first. And there's a little bit of a background to this that you may or may not know. If you chapters earlier in Genesis 17, God had made a covenant. Another word for that is a promise. A promise to Abraham that basically said this, Abraham, you will be the father of many nations, that people will be blessed through you. You will be given the promised land, and Abraham, you will have a son. So that was God's promise to Abraham, his covenant to Abraham. And Abraham was to covenant back or promise back to God. Do you know what that covenant back was? Genesis 17, do you know what Abraham was supposed to give him back? Circumcision. How's that for a Sunday morning? Okay, that's what he was supposed to do. The people were to, to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Now, for the Jewish people, circumcision was revered. It was, it was a sign of, of power and prestige. For the Jews, circumcision was their ID card. Now, how they showed it, where they showed it, I have, I have no idea. I, I'm sure it kind of got some awkward moments at a Tel Aviv nightclub. Uh, but it was, it was revered. <laughs> I, you know... Don't you think when Abraham heard that, he was like, what? Say that again. That doesn't seem fair. Noah got a rainbow. A pretty rainbow as a sign of a covenant. And I get an incision with a blunt rock, okay? So, Anyway, what I would encourage you to do is go back and read some of the beginning of Genesis. And I know that most of you already know the beginning of Genesis, right? When you start reading the Bible, you're like, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Genesis 1. You know, you get to about 22 and then give up, okay? And if you don't, you never make it through Leviticus. But uh, so in the beginning of Genesis, the beginning part there, there's this amazing promise called the covenant. Fast forward. Fast forward there's this amazing pregnancy where Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. Isaac, which means what? Laughter. Okay, laughter. That when God said, you're going to have a baby, you're going to have a boy, Abraham laughed. And the reason he laughed, he was 100 years old. His wife was 90. Viagra hadn't been invented. <laughs> all right. You should be laughing, too, at the thought of a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old. At 90 and 100, all their friends were going to Costco buying Depends, all right? Now they're going to Costco buying Depends and Pampers because, you know, Isaac comes. He was, Isaac was who Abraham was waiting for. Isaac was the dream child. Isaac was who God had promised And that's why this whole thing is so bizarre. That God promises to give him a son and then says, worship me by killing him. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, this was to test Abraham's faith. Now, friends, has your faith ever been tested like that? (laughs) I mean, talk about a test. For some of us in here, we think it's a test to tithe. We think it's a test to love the world, to love the unfriendly. We think it's a test to come to church on a summer Seattle day. Or to come to church when the Seahawks play. Okay, which is about as many good days as there are in Seattle. The amount of Seahawks games, the pretty days in Seattle, the combo. Don't get too cocky. Okay? Uh, you know, that, that's talk about a test. Now, Purse, if I'm honest with you, I couldn't pass that test. If he asked me to sacrifice my only son, I couldn't pass that test. I have three kids one boy. I wanted a boy. I wanted the first one to be a boy. I had a great relationship with my dad growing up. He was the best man in my wedding. We just had a good relationship. I wanted a boy. So when the first one was, was born a girl, um, I didn't laugh. <laughs> didn't laugh. I just, I just wept. And, uh, <laughs> but I do have two girls and one boy. My son is 21 years old. Um, his name is Cody. I brought some pictures of my only son. This is me and Cody. This is, uh, the next one is me and Cody at a UFC fight. Uh, Cody just last night got back from Africa. Um, this is him in Africa. He's the white one. He uh, <laughs> went to serve uh, some people. The next, the next picture is, my wife doesn't like me showing this because she thinks, oh, people will think that's a cigarette. Let me just let you know, that's not a cigarette, okay? It's a joint. Um uh, <laughs> No, it's not. Not that it would matter to you folks, uh, you know, in Washington where, hey, what are you doing after church? I don't know, you know. But the point is, that's my only son. My only son. No, I wouldn't. I mean, If God asked me to sacrifice, take one of the girls, okay? <laughs> See... Isaac, Isaac is not only Abraham's child, Isaac is the fulfillment of a promise. Isaac is a hope for the future. And before we look at worship first from Abraham's standpoint, I want to turn this on you. I want to ask you, what's your Isaac? Who's your Isaac? Your Isaac, in my definition, is this: someone or something that is really, really good in your life. It doesn't have to be a person. It could be your business. It could be a dream that you have. It could be a possession—a car, a, a dream house. It could be an idea. It could be even your ministry. It's the object of your affection, your Isaac. It's, it's what you dream about. It's what you think about when you're at a stoplight. You, you noodle about your Isaac. When you're laying in bed, you, you think you're Isaac. What I want you to do is, I want you to just think, what is your Isaac? Let it pop into your head. You don't have to write it down for fear that maybe somebody around you might, might look. But, but for this to become powerful, I want it to become personal. So I want you right now to hold your Isaac. What is your Isaac? Okay. The object of your affection. Now, here's my question. If that Isaac was taken away from you, would you still worship? Okay. Would, would God still be good if he asked you to give up your Isaac? If Isaac was God, gone, is God still God in your life? Well, what do we learn? What do we learn from Abraham as we dive into his life? What do we learn about worship first? Well, in order to have a worship-first life, like Abraham, we need to do a couple things. First is, I think a worship-first life requires that I place my confidence in God, that I place my confidence in God. Now, a biblical word for confidence could very well be faith, but I want you to think a little different today, because I think we overuse the word faith, and we... We underapply it in our lives. Faith is a great word, but I just want you to think about confidence for a little bit because confidence is the attitude that shapes your behavior. That when you're confident of something, you pursue it with ease. I am confident I could do one push up. If you met me in the hall and said, Hey Doug, can you do a push up? Like, what? Did you see that? I mean, I could I could do that. But if you said, hey, Doug, can you do 100 (laughs) push-ups? Well, I mean, I could over time. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately I could get to 100. But I wouldn't have the same sense of confidence. So when you're confident about something, you pursue it. It becomes part of who you are. My youngest uh, just graduated high school last month. And as we were having her graduation and graduation party, we were sitting around telling Cassie stories. And um, remembering this story that, when she's about three years old, she walks in my office holding a Barbie doll. And I turn around, and I go, hi, baby. She just looks sad. I said, are you sad? She goes, yeah, Daddy, I'm sad. I said, well, why are you sad? She looks at Barbie. She goes, I'm sad because Barbie's not as pretty as me. Now that's confidence, right? That is confidence. Now, as her dad, I actually happen to think that's true—that Barbie's not as pretty as her. And you know, you can you can actually you be the judge, see for yourself. Uh, not not sure why you're laughing. That hurts a little bit. Just okay. So she's not a boy. Uh, but you know, Cassie, the real Cassie, is beautiful. And she heard it every day that she was beautiful and that she was wonderful and that she could and she she began to grow with this sense of, of confidence. See, to have a worship-first attitude, a worship-first life, you have to embrace that attitude. It's confidence in who God is. Because when your confidence is in who God is, you live it out with ease. Now, see if you can see in this text where Abraham reveals his confidence. In verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Friends, where do you see the confidence there? Talk to me. He got up early. Yeah, there's the confidence. He got up early. The confidence maybe even goes back to the fact that he went to bed the night before knowing what he had to do. That he got up early. If that was asked of me, I would have been like Jonah and run or I would have stayed curled in my bed not wanting to get out of bed at all. I wonder what the conversation was like at home with his wife about this. Then scriptures doesn't say she was involved in the conversation with God. What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to go to Moriah and worship. I'm going to take Isaac. <laughs> he won't return, uh, but I'm going to take Isaac. We're going to go. You know that had to be a really difficult situation. But why did Abraham go? Because he was confident in who God was. Okay, confident. You know, here in in my 30 years of following Jesus. What I've learned about my own life is that when I place my confidence in God, what happens is I begin to develop a new vision for what's really important. When I put my confidence in God, my, my perspective changes. Not too long ago, I was in the mall and I was walking by one of those kiosks. And those kiosks have these, these art pieces that they call the magic eye. Have you seen the magic eye before? You know what I'm talking about? It's just a bunch of colors. But there's actually art hidden within these magic eyes. And you're supposed to stand at them. Who knows what I'm talking about, by the way? Yeah, okay, a lot of you. If you don't know, you're supposed to stand in it. if you look at them close enough and long enough, an image appears. And I could never get it. I would go there, and little kids would walk by and go, (laughs) you know, and they just, they're like, and I'm like, you didn't see anything. I thought it was a conspiracy just against me. And the kid goes, oh, no, it's a, you know, warlock riding a horse shooting dragons. And I'm like, I just see color throw up. You know, I don't don't see that at all. And then everybody wants to coach you. Okay, you just got to look beyond it, get to its level, squint. You know, they give you all this stuff on how to see it. And I'll never forget the first time it appeared. I saw it. It was an angel running through the fields holding balloons. Kind of sissy. But I, I got it. I saw it. Then all of a sudden, once I saw it, I had just had just I could approach it like, oh, yeah, I see that. Oh, yeah, I see. Then I'd go up to other people who were struggling and go, ha, you can't see that? Easy. Yeah. You know, I, but it gave me this new, new vision. The confidence, all of a sudden I could approach those things and I had this new vision and I tell you that because that's what confidence in God does. It gives you a new vision. It gives you a new perspective with people. See, what's the new perspective with people? When you have confidence in God, the new perspective is you don't see people, you, you treat them different. Instead of getting angry at them, you know what that confidence in God perspective does? It changes your anger to compassion. You actually feel sad and sorry for them instead of angry. And you want hope and healing for them. It changes your perspective with, with pain. Instead of like, oh, is me. I'm always hurting. This situation is bad. Isn't my life a mess? When you have confidence in God, you see that, what he does is he takes your pain and he begins to transform you like a molder with clay into the image of Jesus. That's new perspective. Or with your plans. When your confidence is in God, you hold your plans with a loose grip because you know God is ultimately in charge of your plans anyway. You see, that's what worship first is. It's a a confidence in God. And you can see that confidence as Isaac asks his dad, you know, in verses 6 through 8. He says, Dad, where is the offering? Where's the sheep? I mean, I kind of find this comical. I read the Bible so much that I actually see humor in it the more you read it over and over. I just find it interesting that Isaac is carrying the wood and the dad carries the knife. He's going to kill the kid, and he's making him work himself to death. I actually think that's where dads get it today. Son, mow the lawn. I'll hold the remote control. Okay, you know, it, it was, it's actually biblical, dads. Uh, but he, the confidence here is this. God will provide. Friends, that's confidence. That God will provide. Let me ask you a question. This is just about you, nobody else. Do you live with a sense of confidence that God will provide? In the midst of maybe some life you don't understand, do you live with the sense that God will take care of this, God will provide? Or are you one that says, I, I, I better step in and fix this. I, I mean, I, I better take care of this myself. I better do something quick or the situation's going to get worse. I better, I better manufacture something, make things happen on my own. I better, I better help out God, you know, in this situation. Now, if you do, like most of us in here, either do or have done, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, Abraham was not always this pillar of confidence. If you read a little bit earlier... Abraham's promised this son, he's promised to, be, to have this son, and he's not having a son. So Abraham takes matters into his own hands, and he sleeps with his wife's maidservant in order to have a child. But now, as we fast forward to Genesis 22, Abraham's not playing those games anymore. Abraham's not taking things into his own hands. Abraham's confident in who God is. And he propels him to worship first in the midst of this crazy situation. You can only do this, worship first, when your confidence is in God. That's number one. Number two, I think worship first requires that I follow God's direction. And I follow God's direction. A biblical word for this is obedience. This actually is what separates, I believe, what separates uh, people on a spiritual journey who either worship first or worship by convenience. Okay? A lot of us in here, we worship by convenience. But worship first is a confidence in God, that's attitude, and then obedience, which is action. I follow his directions. Notice what it says in Genesis 22, verse 4. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On the third day of the journey, he walks for three days. He doesn't turn back. He doesn't come with his own plan. He doesn't misdirect. He doesn't change the deal. Three days. See, I don't think you have to be a parent to understand the torment of what must have been in his heart and in his mind as he's walking to kill his son. See, confidence took him out the front door. Obedience kept him walking. See, I'm around a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and I think there's a lot of what I would call pick-and-choose Christians. They pick and choose the stuff that they want to follow. They they want the blessings of God but they don't want the direction of God. They want the rewards of God but they don't want the road that God lays before them. And I understand. I do. It is so tough to follow God's direction. It is tough. When I'm on a plane and people ask me what I do for a living, I don't tell them Because if I say I'm a pastor, you know what they do? They roll their eyes. Now, when I want to sleep on a plane, I just say, I'm a pastor. Okay, good night. You know, they don't want to talk. Here's what I say. You know what I do? I do the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. And then I stop there. Okay? Most people are intrigued by that because they run through what is he a welder? A mechanic? You know, what, is he a politician? No, it couldn't be that. Uh, You you know what? What does he do? And they say, well, what, what is that? I say, well, I I try to align my life by the teachings and the person of Jesus. It is so difficult. You know what's not difficult for me? To do what I want to do. That's, what, that's not difficult at all. The, the culture that we live in that says be first, that when I drove on this property this morning, I didn't think, hmm, this is an awful big parking lot. Maybe I should park in the last spot so that when all the other worshipers come, they can have the better parking spots. I didn't do that. I I confess. I'm sure, I know a lot of you do, uh, but I didn't. I drove and I got the very best. I parked in the handicap uh, section (laughs) so I could have the best. That's what comes natural to me, to be first. And yet, when... I follow the directions of God and I align myself with the person and teachings of Jesus. Jesus throws that away. He says, "You know what? If you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to serve other people." That's more difficult. See what I what I what I'm good at? What I'm good at is getting revenge. I'm good. I mean, I, I actually enjoy thinking of ways to get revenge. That when somebody wounds me or hurts me or a friend of mine, I can come up with like six or eight ways to just nail them. And that if I was God, here's how I would get at them. Okay. That's what comes natural. But when I align myself with the persons and teachings of Jesus, and I am to walk in his, his direction, you know what Jesus says? Love your enemies. That's not as much fun. Okay? And pray for those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? Okay? This is the most difficult thing to do in one's life. It's easy to live a life where there's no truth. Then I can believe in anything. But when Jesus says, no, there is truth, and the truth shall set you free. See, we want the promised land. We just don't want to follow the map that leads there. Isn't there another way? That's why I call it pick and choose Christians. I heard a story of a husband and wife who had been married 50 years. They were laying in bed talking, and the wife said, you remember when we were, we were young, you used to hold my hand each night. So he reaches out, and he grabs her hand. You remember when we were young, we used, to, we used to cuddle when we were in bed. So he repositions himself to snuggle with her. You remember when we were young, you used to nibble on my ear? He throws the sheets back and jumps out of bed. She says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> See, to, to nibble on an ear when you're young... And the scent of romance is in the air is one thing. But to still be nibbling 50 years later, when the ear is packed with a hearing aid and the, the scent of Ben Gay is in the air okay, that's another thing. But that's what everybody wants. They want the romance of Jesus. Give me the love and give me the forgiveness, and, and give me the fragrance of your gifts and of your grace. But what they don't want is the journey of Jesus, the discipline, the trials, the difficulties, the persecution. See, worship first says, I will confidently obey even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the direction isn't clear. I will confidently obey. And this is not easy. I mean, I marvel at people who relentlessly show a life following God's direction. And gang, your church is full of those people. This leadership team that I was telling you about, I've worked with so many. you Pastor Mike. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I've tried to get Mike to move back down to Southern California where pot's not legal. And, uh, uh, yeah. but you know, for those of you who don't know the story, Mike and I were working together and he came up here to be college age pastor and things took off and all of a sudden stuff moved around and Mike was, and Mike went through so much heat and pain from people here and he would tell me stories of what was happening in the church. I'm like, dude, just leave come back. There's a half dozen churches in Southern California that would hire you in a minute. Amazing churches that want you to be the pastor. And Mike just said, no. That's not God's direction for me right now. This was not an easy journey for your pastor. You've got another woman on this staff, Lynn Ellis. Some of you know her. Some of you, if you don't, you need to go on a mission trip with her. She's an amazing, amazing woman. We've known her for many years. She just got married, 47 years old. Just got married a month ago and At her reception, I said, we were given opportunities to talk into her life. And I said, Lynn, you are one of the most faithful and obedient people I know. And I know a lot of people. She has faithfully obeyed God's ways as a single woman for so many years. This church is is full of people like this. Now, do you think... That while they were walking down the dark road to Moriah, they were doing so because it was easy and convenient? No. But because they were confident in who God is. That's what worship first is. I must place my confidence in God, and I must follow God's direction. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some of you are going, okay, Doug, I want that. I want that worship first idea in my life. I want confidence and I want obedience, but I got to confess to you, it's, it's kind of like a diet. When I try that and I don't see the results, I just, I just give up and I go do my own thing. So yeah, I'm kind of one of those pick and choose convenient Christians. And if that describes you, let me just, let me share with you a principle, a principle that I call the morning sickness principle. And it's something I learned about God. Morning sickness principle came when our, our first child was, was born. I didn't, um, you know, like most men, they find out with little booties on their bed or something like that. I found out that my wife was pregnant because I woke up one morning to the sounds of vomit in our bathroom. Okay, which isn't normally how I wake up. And so I walked into the bathroom. I'm like, hey, I'm trying to sleep keep it down. Okay? No, just kidding. And uh, you know she's throwing up in the bathroom, and she looks back at me and says, we're pregnant. I'll never forget that look, because I was shy I didn't know what to do. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to kiss her right there, but I, I didn't know what, I didn't know what to, to, to do. But there was this splendor in her eyes, and even for weeks and even months, you couldn't even tell she was pregnant. And I'm like, are you sure? She'd look at me and she says, make no mistake. There is something happening within. Even though she was sick and wasn't liking life, there was some change happening within. That's the morning sickness principle. Write this down in your notes. The process doesn't always look like progress. The process doesn't always look like progress. Things are not going well at work and you don't feel like worshiping, putting God's first. Your kids are cranky and you don't feel like worshiping God first. Your finances are tight and you don't feel like worshiping God with your tithe this month. This all doesn't add up to progress, what's going on. You're, you're going, this is not what I had in mind when I came to follow Jesus. I thought it would be so different I mean, even when she was beginning to show in her stomach, I still thought, maybe she was just picking up a few LBs, you know, if you know what I mean. Because she would be like, hey, feel it, feel it, kick. And every time I'd go to put my hand on her stomach, I never felt a kick, ever. I thought she was faking it. So then I just started lying to her. Ooh, yeah, ow, ow. Dang, what a kicker, you know, that that thing is, okay? It just, it didn't seem like there was what I, even when the baby was born, and for those of you that have never seen a newborn baby, it doesn't look cute like you see on TV. It just doesn't. And the doctor, you know, is like, you just gave birth to E.T., you know? (laughs) Put it back not done yet. But the process of those nine months doesn't look like progress. And some of you may be in, you may be there right now. You're conflicted. You want the life of confidence and obedience, but, but your way is easier. And so you're tempted to take things into your own hands. I mean, think about how tempted Abraham must have been to stop the journey, to create his own path, to not obey God. I mean, uh, that was his son who he cradled. That was his son who he read books to. That was his son who he comforted when he fell off to a spooked donkey. But Abraham didn't give in to the temptation to quit and take things into his own hands. He gave in to worship. And he put his son on the altar, not because he wanted to, but because he knew that God was bigger than his Isaac. So here's my question to you. In the midst of your life, what gets your worship? What gets your best attention? What gets your most affection? Is it your Isaac? If so, that's not God's design for your life. And God has done everything to prove to you and me that he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship first. What's he done? Well, unlike what he did with Abraham, he did not intervene and stop the death of his own son, Jesus, on the cross. He allowed Jesus to die so that you and me could live. He allowed Jesus to die so you and I could have real life now and eternal life. See, you and I are invited into a life of worship. And that life of worship means that God showers his love on us and in us. He gives us his presence. Where we have his presence, we have his power. And then he guides us. That he is worthy of. Today, friends, he's worthy of your confidence and your obedience today and every day. He is the one who gave you your Isaac. My prayer is we all go our separate ways. We would wrestle with what does it mean to put our confidence in God? And then, with that confidence, we follow his direction with our obedience. That's worship first. Let's pray together. As we pray, I want to ask you to do something that you may or may not feel comfortable with, so you decide. But I want to ask you to just put your hands out in front of you as, you were, as if you were holding your Isaac. You've already defined your Isaac. Now, just hold it out in front of you. Then what I want to ask you to do is just to open your hands up and let the Isaac fall to the altar. That's the, the symbol of, of worship. That we don't worship our Isaac, we worship the creator of Isaac, the one who promised you your Isaac, the one who has a hope and a plan for your future. So, Jesus, you know our hearts. You love these people. May we be different when we leave here today. May we place our confidence in you and may our life follow. Thank you for the example of worship first in Abraham. May you take. Higher worship than our Isaac. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.